I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And also, just before we get into the message this morning, I want to say thank you for all of this, the cards and the wishes and, and uh, the prayers during this past week. Uh, the funeral went very well uh, Friday, uh, Thursday afternoon, and uh, we praise the Lord for all that was done, and it was a real blessing to know that the church was standing behind me and and uh, praying and caring all through that time. And I want to tell you, the Lord's peace is there, and His joy and His comfort. And so we want to celebrate the Lord's goodness, because He is always good. Amen? And so we praise the Lord. Uh, in spite of circumstances, it may not be what we would like. I will tell you this, it was, it was just... Uh, the Lord's working all the way around, and so we praise the Lord for that. Today is Palm Sunday. Traditionally, it is the day we remember that Jesus rode the little donkey through the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. By the way, that gate has been sealed for many centuries. In fact, uh, they put a cemetery outside that gate so that no one could go through there because walking through a cemetery, if you touched one of the graves, it would make you unclean. And so the king could not possibly enter through that eastern gate unless there's massive geographical changes to the city of Jerusalem. And by the way, there's going to be, read the book of Revelation, things are going to change. But I want to tell you this, uh, they were only several centuries late in sealing up the eastern gate. Jesus had already been through it. Amen. And the story is told here in John chapter 12. It's also told in the other Gospels. And, and we will look to those. Now, uh, traditionally, many churches give out palm leaves and things. And, and uh, I was actually looking in, at Home Depot and found some very nice palms. And so I just bought some living ones uh, to put on the platform. We'll see how long they'll survive. Uh, the last set did not last very long, but uh, we'll see what we can do to keep these uh, kind of a living memorial. Because every day ought to be a day of praise to the Savior. Amen. It ought not just be reserved for one Sunday a year. And by the way, a lot of people put a lot of things into Palm Sunday that actually don't belong there. And we'll try to touch on some of those things today. But John has a rather abbreviated telling of the story. And we'll just start here in verse 12. It says, on the next day, that was actually a Sunday, the first day of the week, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. 
These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard, for they heard that he had done this miracle. Verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Now the text I would like to use is verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how that ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Now how many of you are familiar with the events of the Bible and what happened during this last week? Some people call it the Passion Week. Uh, simply... Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem on Sunday. What was the first thing he did? He went into the temple, into the uh, second uh, or the outer porch there, what was commonly called the court of the Gentiles. If you and I were in Jerusalem and not of Jewish heritage, that's as far as we would have gotten. Then there was the court of the women and then the court of the men where the real uh, worship and things went on, but we would be relegated to the court of the Gentiles. I'm not of Jewish heritage. And you know what was in the court of the Gentiles? The sellers of sacrifices. They had the pigeons in the cages and they were all there they had the, the lambs and the, and the sheeps and even the bullocks, uh, the young bulls, and all of the different sacrifices were there. And of course, depending upon your wealth, was the sacrifice that you offered. And of course, Passover was coming. Every family would offer a lamb. They say that during Passover that they would offer between 120 and 200,000 lambs on that altar. That the blood would seep down through the paving stones of the temple courtyard and literally paint the mountain red upon which Jerusalem was built. It was an incredible time to be in Jerusalem. And as the crowds heard that Jesus was coming, every person of Jewish heritage who was possibly able was to be at Jerusalem. They say the population of Jerusalem would swell almost to over 2 million people during Passover week. That's four times its normal size. Just imagine the crowds and the people, and the confusion, and yet the celebration, and the joy, and even to this day, Passover is the most sacred day of the Jewish calendar year. They heard Jesus was coming. 
It says some took their coats, their outer robes, and laid them down in the road to keep the dust down so that the king would walk over them, and they praised him. And one of the things that has always puzzled me, if you read the theologians, they talk about Jesus being rejected. Read this story. Was Jesus rejected on this day? No. We'll get to, Jesus said that he had to be rejected of this generation. We'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want you to understand that there were literally tens of thousands of people lining this narrow little winding path that went up over the Mount of Olives and down into the city of Jerusalem. The entire city took note of what was going on that day. If you have 50 people banging on pots, is anybody going to pay attention to that? Well, if they propose sodomite marriage, you'll have all the news media there and they'll all be watching that thing and making sure that they get their due attention. But if you're talking about something of righteousness or right, oh boy, it just gets ignored now, doesn't it? Do you think it was in the temple's best interest to pay attention to Jesus? No, they were doing everything they could to ignore this man. They wanted nothing to do with this guy. And all of a sudden, a whole city was resounding with Hosanna to the son of David. Do you know what that meant? That was the title that belonged to the Messiah. To the anointed one. The Greek word is Christ. The Hebrew word, Messiah. The anointed one, the chosen one. That's who Jesus is. Amen. And the first thing he did was ascend the steps of the temple into the court of the Gentiles, and all of a sudden, out comes the sheep. And the birds start flying over the wall and through the gate, and lots of noise, and and pretty soon as the sacrificial animals are running out, the guys that are selling them come running out. Uh, You know, there's an idea here that no one should ever get upset or angry. Uh, Do you think, Jesus just went into the temple, into that court and said, okay, guys, it's over, out of here. No, it says he turned over their tables. He chased them out of the court. I, I think he was upset. He said, you're not to make my father's house a house of merchandise, a den of thieves. And there's a lot there that we don't have time to go into this morning, but the temple had its own money system. You got weighed in light, weighed out heavy. They stole from you both ways because money was by weight in those days. So if you brought 10 ounces of silver to the temple, it was exchanged for 8 ounces of Temple money. And then the prices were exorbitant, exorbitant, 
They were just jacked up way high, okay? We'll get that word out there sooner or later. It's what I get for trying to use big words, amen? But Jesus chased them all out. And then he sat on the steps and the blind and the lame and the sick walked up those steps and Jesus healed them all. And the crowd that had followed him in just began to drop into a regular chant of Hosanna to the son of David, glory to God in the highest. And here's the Pharisees. Perceive how you prevail nothing. I mean, can you hear the rage? Can you hear the depth of emotion that is in their souls? Look around you, perceive, pay attention. We failed. Everything we've done. Now, what had they done? Well, if you take time to go to Mark chapter 3, they had tried to attribute the power of Jesus to Beelzebub, the god of the flies. That was the most disgusting pagan deity that the Pharisees knew anything about. How could you get more disgusting than to be the god of the flies? And by the way... It really wasn't the God of the flies. It was the God of what comes before the flies come. If you understand what I'm saying, if you don't, go look it up in a science book. It's rather disgusting. Uh, They tried to debase Jesus by saying his power came from Satan himself. And here's what Jesus said to them. He said, All manner of sin can be forgiven to men. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven in this life or in the life to come. This is what we call the unpardonable sin. You say, how does someone commit that? Well, it says, for they said, he hath an unclean spirit. Let me explain it to you this way. When you can attribute the goodness of God to the working of Satan, would you want to get saved? If you can look at something that God has done as righteous and good and attribute that to the working of Satan, Let me tell you, you are so far removed from salvation that you've already made the decision to reject Christ. Amen? You see, the rejection of Jesus was not a single one-time event. It was done by the people who lived in that generation. And by the way, if Jesus were to come in this generation and we were to somehow be able to exchange places with the events here, guess what you and I would do? We would do the same thing they did. 
our generation would reject Jesus. He has been rejected by every generation that has ever lived. When there was only two people alive on the face of the whole earth, that generation rejected Jesus, did they not? As they disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree. It got so bad in Noah's day that eight people out of, we don't know how many people were alive on earth at that time. Some figure as high as two billion people were alive in the days of Noah. People lived extremely long lives. They had large uh, families, much larger than mine, amen? I mean, if you could have children for 800 years, that would be quite, quite a task to raise all of those kids. Uh, I'm glad the Lord does it the way he does it today, amen? But only eight people got on the ark. Would you not say that was a wholesale rejection of God and his word? And every succeeding generation has followed in their footsteps. These Pharisees had already decided that Jesus could not be the God of the Bible. He could not be the promised Messiah for one reason and one reason alone. He didn't agree with them. Isn't that what it is? He did not understand the Bible the way they understood the Bible. And of course, their understanding of the Scriptures was the most complete and wonderful that ever existed. Isn't that true? Wrong answer. Even his own disciples, as we read here in the book of John, did not understand what they were doing on this day. It was not until after Jesus was glorified, after his resurrection, and Jesus himself opened their eyes to see and understand the scriptures that they really understood the events that had happened on this day. How many of you remember how long it took you to have your eyes open to what was in this book called the Bible? Takes a while, doesn't it? It takes some learning, but more difficult than learning, it takes some unlearning. It takes much more effort to unteach wrong things that you have accepted as true than it does for you to accept the truth in the first place. That's one of the reasons why people have so much difficulty with the word of God today is because there is so much untruth in our generation. In fact, I I have pity for the next person that tells me, well, pastor, that's your truth. Don't, Don't ever say that. Because you don't know what truth is when you say that. Can you own truth? Can truth belong to you and not belong to me? I mean, let's get an idea here. How many of you believe in the law of gravity? Do you believe in that? Do we have anybody here that doesn't believe in the law of gravity? I mean, man cannot fly by himself. Amen? 
If you step off the edge, even the edge of this platform, guess where you're going? Down to the main floor. I mean, it just works that way. That is a truth. You say, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter. You're going to fall on your face just like everybody else who doesn't use the stairs. Amen? I, I mean, that is the truth does not need to be proved because it is truth. Truth must either be accepted or rejected. There's a difference. You can ignore truth if you want to. Talk to the people who are going to get out of debt by spending more money. I mean, you can ignore truth. But there comes a time when it catches up to you. About the time you pass the first floor heading down. I mean, if you jump off on the 15th story, you, you've got a little bit of time until truth catches up with you or you catch up with it as the case may be. But uh, once you pass that first story, you only got about eight and a half or so feet. And the truth is going to catch up to you, and it's not going to be a pretty sight. It's not going to be a pleasant experience. You see, they had tried to attribute who Jesus was to the power of the devil. It didn't work. The only thing they did was condemn themselves. And so here on this day, of praise to Jesus, we find them standing on the outside looking in. And the only thing that is generated in their heart is more hatred and frustration toward this person named Jesus. And they said, look around you, perceive, open up your eyes, understand what's happening. We've, we've accomplished nothing. Jesus had told them, Let's turn to John chapter 5. Let's just read a few words. Look at verse 39. Search the scriptures. John chapter 5, verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that I might have life. That ye might have life, I'm sorry. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another, man, if another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe? which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one, one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings... How shall ye believe my words? 
You know, people say the Bible is hard to understand. Did you have a problem understanding those words? How could Jesus have been more plain in his speech? What he was accusing them is not simply of rejecting him. He said, you've already rejected Moses and everything the Old Testament law says. You've already turned your back on God and his word. Because if you'd believed what Moses said, you would have believed me. You know, we have a group of people that preach today a grace that is not connected to the law. That a God who just understands who you are and that you're sinful and will just kind of sweep it all under the carpet because he loves everybody. Let me tell you that God does not exist in this book called the Bible. It's only in the imagination of wicked men who want an excuse to get away with their wicked deeds. You see, until you're willing to believe what Moses said about you, you will never come to Jesus to get salvation. Jesus came to save sinners. And until you will allow God's law to convict you as a sinner, you cannot be saved. That's why these Pharisees, they had already rejected Jesus. This had been a long and arduous process. They had to simply ignore a lot of truth. And yet, in John chapter 11, when Jesus had called Lazarus out of the grave after having been in there four days... It said many of the Jews believed on him. They could not. They could no longer ignore the truth of who Jesus is. Lazarus had been dead for four days, sealed up in that tomb. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. Read the text. He was bound in grave clothes. Uh, You don't walk when you're bound in grave clothes, my friend. It was the power of his voice that brought Lazarus' body up off that slab. And as those that have visited the tomb have said, 32 steps go down into the family crypt of Lazarus' family. And there he was standing at the door. Jesus told the others, loose him, let him go. There was no way to make Grave clothes clean, Jesus refused to touch them. He let others do that. But Lazarus was alive. And many of those very men that had plotted and planned with these that made the statement in John chapter 12, they looked at their friends and they said, We've lost the battle. We prevailed nothing. We have not stopped Jesus. Then the next phrase, they said, Behold, the world is gone after him. Now, I don't want to change Scripture in any way, but I want you to see the emphasis that is in here. Behold, the world is gone. You see, they'd already made up in their mind that if you follow Jesus, 
you had to be cut off from God's grace. You see, they feared one thing more than anything else. Read John chapter 11. They had a meeting after the death of Lazar- after the resurrection of Lazarus, and it says here in John chapter 11, let me ju- let's just turn there and read the verse, and then we'll be back in John chapter 12. Verse 48, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. That was their fear. They said, if we leave this Jesus guy alone, everybody's going to believe on him. Duh. Who is Jesus? Everyone ought to believe on him. Amen. But they were going to stop that somehow. And while the people were jubilant and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. By the way, how many of you are familiar with the passage? They'd already talked to Jesus about this thing. Remember that? They'd come up to him. Master, hearst thou not what thy disciples say? Don't you hear the blasphemy? What was Jesus' answer? We get part of it in Luke and part of it in John. He said, if these should hold their peace, behold, the stones would cry out. Hast thou not read, behold, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Jesus was claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. These were Jewish people. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second commandment, thou shalt not worship anything but God himself. No graven image, no representation of God. That was born into their souls. And yet Jesus was accepting worship in the presence of these Pharisees. Whoo. You're talking about rubbing their face in it. I mean, he was doing He said, even the stones would worship me if these were to hold their voice. Oh. They could not stop the praise of Jesus. But let's go to Luke chapter 23 for a moment. How quickly things change, we think. Prevail, perceive how ye prevail, nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. In Luke 23, verse 23. Let's read 22 as well. And he, Pilate, the Roman governor, said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Verse 23. And they were instant. We'll get to who they is in a minute. 
And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priest prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. Imagine this. Sunday, the entire city of Jerusalem was gathered at the foot of the temple. Hosanna to the son of David. Thursday morning, the whole city of Jerusalem was gathered at the Roman fortress, screaming, crucify him, crucify him, about the same person. You see, we say, wow, things change quickly. After four days of harassing Jesus and being embarrassed at every question they ask. After four days of trying and plotting and planning. Judas finally betrayed him and they had Jesus in their power. Even after he was crucified, what did they do? They went back to Pilate and said, you got to give a guard on that tomb. Because his disciples will steal the body and say he's risen. And then we'll have a bigger problem than you ever thought about having. So Pilate says, okay, you got a guard. You know, they really thought that the Roman soldiers could keep Jesus in the tomb. I love the story. It wasn't even Jesus that showed up. It was just an angel. He descended out of heaven and picked the stone up that had the Roman seal. The Bible says he rolled it away. He tossed it aside like you would a frisbee. They tell us that stone weighed about between four and 5,000 pounds. I love the story, and we'll talk about it next week. I mean, the, the pictures are so incredible. Here you got this guard marching. They weren't laying around. This was a Roman guard. Do you know what the penalty was? Crucifixion upside down for neglecting your duty. This was not something they took lightly. It was a charge given to them by the governor. But I will tell you this. When that angel descended out of the sky in the middle of the night and picked up that stone and rolled it away, it says they quaked and and were as dead men. You can't fight against something like that. Now we come to the point of the message. You see, there were many in Jerusalem who were very willing to just allow their lives to flow along with the crowd. When they were praising Jesus, what were they doing? Praising Jesus. When they were calling for his blood, what were they doing? They were calling for his blood. They were part of the crowd. You know, a lot of people are very content to just be part of the crowd. Isn't that true? 
Uh, before I decide what crowd I want to be a part of, I want to know who's leading the crowd. Amen? I want to know where it's going and what it's doing. Well, guess what? You get in trouble that way sometimes now, don't you? You see, there comes a time where every living soul must make an individual choice. I met the world's smartest idiot on visitation yesterday. He knew everything. He says, what is a human? What is a human? Okay. Well, it's an individual soul. No! Okay. It's recycled, he said. The spirits come from heaven and inhabit the bodies and, of course, I said, man, you got that from Buddha. Give me a break. You see, you've got to make a choice in your own life personally because God is a personal God. He does not deal with groups. He deals with individuals. And when you make a choice to follow Christ, uh, let me tell you something. You will be going against the crowd. Always. Oh, they might be willing to praise Jesus as he rides the donkey through the eastern gate of Jerusalem and everybody's a Christian on Christmas, just like everybody's Irish on St. Patrick's. Isn't that true? Met an atheist one time. We got talking just, oh, but I celebrate Christmas. <laughs> okay, you don't believe there's a God, but you celebrate Christmas. Okay. Uh, you see, people do the most foolish things when they ignore the truth. Isn't that true? I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10, and we'll be done this morning in a few minutes. Mark chapter 10. See, we live in a world where all religions are vying for attention. Going back to the world's smartest idiot, he tried to tell me that Somehow we were connected with the Pope and all those things that were going on. You know, that's one thing that's never been topical at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We really don't care about the Pope. Uh, He has nothing to do with what goes on in this church. And we're not the least bit worried about who he is or who he isn't. Somebody said, why did he resign? Because he's a sinner just like everybody else. That's why he resigned. He didn't want to get caught, just like everybody else. But let me tell you something. There was a young man that came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10. You see, you can't be just part of the crowd. You have to meet Jesus as an individual. Verse 17 begins his story. 
And when he, Jesus, was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now look at verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. I want you to understand that Jesus was not trying to be cruel or mean to this person. He was being caring and he was loving this man. He was expressing love to him when he said, verse 21, the middle of the verse, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come Take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Look at verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You see, if you're going to choose Jesus, you must unchoose everything else. You see, Jesus loved this man and he was trying to help him see. Young man, what is more important to you? Me or your possessions? See, people have read into this that if you're going to really serve God, you need to have a vow of poverty and give away everything you have. No. His bank account... His possessions, his personal riches was this man's problem. It was the one thing that would keep him from following Jesus all the way. You know, most of us in this room, we don't have that problem because we we don't have enough riches that when we put them up to Christ that it would be worth anything, right? You say, hey... (laughs) Talking about heaven here, and all I got to give up is a little bit of a little lousy bank account and a couple of credit cards. Come on, let's go. But there's something else that's just as important to you as his riches were to him. You know, I've been pastor over 20 years here, and I could give you lots of excuses as to why people have missed heaven. Some people said, but my family, Pastor, they wouldn't understand if I changed religions. Hey, wait a minute. We're not asking about changing religions. We're talking about rejecting everything else so that I may accept Christ. 
I've had people say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. It's not that I don't want to serve Christ. And I, I want to give to Him and I want to do what's right and everything, but I just want to have a good life. I just want to pay my bills. I'd like to own my own home. I'd like to have a few things. You know, some people miss heaven because they want things they can't have. And they don't think they're going to get them if they surrender to Christ. But let me tell you something. Whether it's the possessing of things or the desire to possess things, you still lose heaven. Many of our people have found their closest family is right here at church. Even though we don't share the same last name, we share much more than that through the fellowship of the suffering of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, unless you're willing to forsake all, you cannot embrace Christ. See, the Romans had no problem, and we've been over this before. They had no problem of adding Jesus to the pantheon of gods. That was not a problem. They had really rewritten their entire religious history in favor of the Greeks. But they had just given all the Greek gods new names. Zeus became Jupiter and... Um, Oh, I, I have not wasted the time to study mythology. I'm sorry today. So I can't give you all the names. I know a few of them. But, but really, the Romans were even willing to go in and take Zeus and put him on a footstool in front of Jesus. They were willing to do that. That wasn't a problem. But when they understood that they had to go in through the pantheon and sweep it all out and get rid of all the gods. And only Jesus could be there. That's when they started killing the Christians. Palm Sunday. Everybody was waving palms and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. A few weeks later, I mean weeks, sorry, a few days later, the voices of them and of the chief priest prevailed. They finally had Jesus where they wanted him. Did it work? No. Months later, they were talking to the disciples of Jesus and said, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And they basically said, so? Isn't that where it belongs? It wasn't all the Jewish people. The vast majority of believers in the early church were all Jewish people. Why? Because they had believed Moses. And if you truly believe Moses, you cannot reject Jesus. That's what Jesus taught. 
And my question is today, the statement actually, is you must choose for yourself. Have you chosen Jesus? You see, the disciples asked the question, who then can be saved? I want to challenge you today, being saved is more than just praying a prayer. It's more than just showing up at church. It's more than being baptized. In fact, none of those things matter unless you're willing to do the real work. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. By that way, that confession is made directly to God, not to man. After you're saved, you then have the duty to profess or to tell others what God has already done in your heart and in your soul. You cannot follow Jesus halfway, my friend. You must follow him all the way. It starts with salvation. It then proceeds to a baptismal tank, a public profession of faith. It then moves to serving God in and through His church. That's how simple it is. Perceive how you prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after Him. You know how wrong these guys were about everything? The world has never gone after him. But the few that have been willing to allow God to make it possible, he has saved them forever. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, as we look at the events that transpired during this week, it's hard for us not to just shake our heads and say, how could it be? But then, Lord, we just pray that you would open our eyes and let us see that these same things are played out every day in the lives of people that we meet. Oh, they're willing to wave a palm branch but they're not willing to leave their life to embrace the Savior's. Lord, my first prayer is for those that are here with us today that are unsaved, that have yet to make sure their eternity. Lord, that right now the Holy Spirit would have freedom to begin convicting and working in those lives. Lord, we understand that many times it, it takes more than just one hearing or one call. And so we put those souls in your hands and ask that soon we'll be able to know that they have trusted you as their Savior. Lord, we pray for those that are truly saved today. 
that you would use this time to encourage them in simply following Jesus and nobody and nothing else. Lord, we pray mostly for those who are confused that don't just don't know whether they're saved or not or all of these things. We pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to begin to sort these things out one by one and using your word to make complex things plain that they may understand and know the direction their life needs to go in. Lord, I pray that we would do more than wave palms today. That we would bring our hearts and offering that you may do with as you will. The Bible says, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. It is for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.